Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. And this is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, welcoming you to today's episode of Reconciling Grace. This is actually going to be a continuation of the previous program about what is sin. Joining me today are panelists Steve Wilson, who is a Christian author with a master's degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, and Mick Wells, who is co-host of the Cross Connection radio program and who's been a part of Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. And Mick, uh, you were the one who kind of led the discussion last time on sin, so we'll let you keep on doing it today as not so much on sin, but what is sin? Would that be a better way of, of saying what today's episode is? Yeah, Pete, I, I think it's important to a lot of us <clears throat> when we talk about the word sin, a lot of people have different concepts of it. Uh, I think we dealt with it in fairly general terms last time, and there's probably... Uh, a virtually unlimited uh, number of programs we could do on angles of, of the topic of sin. But today, I would like to pick out a couple types of sin the Bible mentions. Um, your average believer, when they, whatever an average believer is, um, <clears throat> when they read about these particular types of sin, get a little bit concerned and they become introspective and try to determine whether they've committed it or is it possible to commit it. I'm talking specifically uh, about a type of sin called uh, the unpardonable sin, the uh, sin that uh, will not be forgiven. And the Bible also talks about a sin that leads to death. And I'd like to start discussion with uh, having you read a couple scriptures. So, uh, Pete, would you share with us uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32? Sure. This is from the NIV, and this is Jesus speaking. And so I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, thanks, Pete. We're talking here about um, a type of sin which is pretty serious, uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that uh, anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit not, will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come, which I think bears some discussion unto itself. But I want to go ahead and have Steve read about the, the sin that doesn't lead to death and then maybe we can compare and contrast and come up with examples of this. Steve? 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. Okay, thanks, Steve. Well, here we have two types of sin. Uh, some might argue that they're one and the same, but that's open to our discussion here. Let's talk about uh, blasphemy against the Spirit, which uh, we refer to 
as the unpardonable sin because Jesus indicates that whoever commits this sin won't be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Um, can you think of any uh, examples? Um, let's start with the Bible. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Do you think that they committed an unpardonable sin? And uh, let me just share with you a little bit about what they did. Of course, they were with the believers, and uh, they sold some property and got some money, but they, only, they withheld some of it, and they gave part of it to uh, the group of believers who were sharing all their things, and uh, they indicated that that was the full price they got. In other words, they lied. And uh, because they lied, the apostles somehow knew this, and uh, Ananias was struck down. Uh, dead and uh, because he had lied uh, to the Holy Spirit. And later on, uh, Ananias's wife, Sapphira, came to the door and she did the same thing. She said that uh, they gave all the money from the sale of a property and uh, Sapphira was told, hey, your husband did the same thing. They're out burying him because you lied. Uh, well, she was struck down and they buried her uh, at about the same time as with her husband, Ananias. What do you think? Do you think that represents what Jesus describes as an unpardonable sin? Well, if you're asking me that, I would say that no, that was not the unpardonable sin. I would say that what Steve read from what John wrote about the sin that leads unto death, that yes, that's what it was that happened there. Um, obviously, they died. Obviously, it was something where once they've died, my thought anyway, is that once a person has died, there's really not a reason to be praying for them because that sin led to death. Now, we could get into a whole lot of different discussions about why did God let Ananias and Sapphira die? Um, was it because of the fact that they withheld part of the money? Personally, I don't believe the Scripture shows that. I believe that it was because they lied, and that this was such an early time in the church that one of the things that I think may have happened is that God needed to show how important it was for the church to be his instrument, mm. and that this isn't necessarily going to be setting a precedent that any time you lie, you're going to die, but for the health of the church at that time in its infancy, I believe it was an important thing that God had to let that purity of the church be maintained. I mean, obviously, when you look at the church today, there are so many problems with the church, and I'm not talking about one denomination over another. I'm just talking in general. Um, unfortunately, we have a lot of people who sin in many different ways in the church, but because the church was in its infancy, I think that this was a special situation, and that was the sin that led unto death, but no, not the unpardonable sin. I believe that if Ananias and Sapphira truly believed in Jesus, which I don't have any reason to believe they didn't, I believe that they were saved. Hey, um, Steve, you have any thoughts? I think the 
unpardonable sin is connected to what Ananias and, and Sapphira did uh, in that they lied. And if we go back and look at what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was, in that context, some people were saying, well, Jesus is driving out demons by the power of demons, not the power of the Holy Spirit. And so by, by claiming that he was doing something that he was doing by the Spirit, but claiming that it was by devils, uh, they were saying something wrong against the Spirit. Right. Do you think they were doing that in ignorance? And I, and I say that because there are examples in the Bible, you know, like Jesus on the cross. People were crucifying him, and he said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It, it's like they were doing something wrong in ignorance. So when people were saying that Jesus was casting out uh, devils by the power of— or casting out demons by the power of the devil, do you think that could have been classified as something they didn't even know what they were talking about? Could be. I think along those lines, um, yes. And I think at this point is one of those things where you have to look at the the Bible in, in the entire context of what does the whole message say. Because um, to me, Steve, I think you're right on track there. We have the fact that they lied, Ananias and Sapphira did, um, to the Holy Spirit. And basically, I think what they did was lie about the Holy Spirit. That might be a different way of putting it, because they were attributing something that was not what the Holy Spirit told them to do, because I believe that they probably had within their consciences the idea, you should give it all, or you should say, no, this is not the full amount. To me, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when somebody totally ignores the fact that they have been witnessed to about God their entire lives, whether about Jesus dying on the cross or whether, as Paul says in the book of Romans, just by looking at the world and around creation around us, knowing that there must be a creator and still saying, no, there is no God, I reject that. The Holy Spirit is speaking to people about God at that point. And if they die still saying, no, there is no God, they have basically talked against the Holy Spirit. Right. Well, you know, the account in Acts 5 of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, um, the apostles basically said, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Okay, so the lie was to God. It says when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And of course, his wife came in, basically um, repeated the same uh, error, if you will, that uh, Ananias had committed, said the same thing, lied. And the apostles, or Peter, responded, said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. So both of these actions were directed their attention back to God. You've lied to God, you've conspired to test the Spirit of God, and in terms of teaching the church a lesson, as you mentioned, Pete, the, I would say God really got their attention. Um, as verse 11 of Acts 5 says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It did get their attention <laughs> and uh, realize that uh, God is serious about this kind of thing. Right. 
And I think that one thing is important here, and I hope I'm not stepping on something you're trying to get at later, but it's been said, and I've heard it said, I can't remember who I heard it from, but it's not original with me. But the idea is this, that if you are worried that you may have committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. I've heard that many times. Um, you got any thoughts, uh, Steve? Well, I think that's just it. Is if we, as Pete said, if we blaspheme against the Spirit by saying, no, God is not trying to reach out to me, God is not working on my life, uh, then that's the unforgivable sin. If you die believing that, uh, you will go to hell. You will not be saved. But uh, if you are concerned about you know your spiritual state, then yeah, I don't think you can be in a state of uh, unforgivable sin. I think that's absolutely right myself. And we can continue this thought uh, once we return from this message from our sponsor. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. We've been talking about what is sin, and specifically we've been talking about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the unforgivable sin, and also the sin that leads unto death. So Mick, why don't we have you pick up where we left off? Okay, uh, thanks Pete. I'd like to examine the question of who, who can commit this sin. Some people believe it can't be committed today. They thought it was only committable, if you will, back in the time of Jesus. I'm not going to go into that. It'd be easy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's some sins you can't commit anymore. All right. (laughs) There you go. Wouldn't that be great? Listen to these uh, words of Jesus in the passage that Pete read. I'm going to repeat them. But anyone, okay, anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. So, I just throw out the question, can Christians commit this sin? Not if they want to still be Christians. So they can commit it if they don't want to be Christians. Well, yeah, I I believe, now this is me and my Wesleyan-Arminian background. Um, Now, I want to say before I say anything, there are some wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in what they call eternal security, uh, perseverance of the saints, that once you're saved, you're always saved. Um, I believe that if a person truly wants to reject Christ, they can. I think they are kind of silly for wanting to do so. Um, their eternal destiny can be lost, but I don't think it's one of these things where it's um, unintentional. I believe that just as it takes an intentional act for us to receive Christ, to ask Christ into our lives, we almost, in a way, would have to say, Jesus, I don't want you in my life anymore, and I believe he's not going to stay if we don't want him there. Um, But at that point, if a person speaks against the Holy Spirit in that way, I don't believe that Jesus is going to drag them kicking and screaming into heaven at the end of their lives. In other words, uh, you believe that God does not nullify one's free will even after becoming a Christian? Oh, absolutely not. I believe we have free will through our whole lives. Even with respect to salvation? Oh, yeah. Okay. Any thoughts, Steve? No, I'd agree. I think you can uh, <clears throat> gradually or, or maybe even dramatically uh, 
change your mind, change your heart, and uh, reject the Spirit? Yeah, it was an interesting story about uh, a contemporary of Billy Graham. I think his name was Charles Templeton. And it's kind of along those lines. He was a contemporary evangelist with, uh, alongside uh, Billy Graham and then came to the point where he basically repudiated God and became came an atheist. That's a, a study unto itself someday, I think. Right, and I, and I want to just make sure I doubly say this. This is not to cast anything wrong against people who understand it differently, against, right. for instance, our Calvinist friends or other people like that. Because if a, if a person believes in Jesus Christ— it didn't say that the unforgivable sin is whether or not you believe you can lose your salvation or whether or not you think that uh, you're eternally secure. Those people who believe otherwise, if they believe in Jesus Christ, they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love them, and I'm, I'm going to be happy to live forever with them in heaven. Sure. So basically, uh, when Jesus said, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit uh, will not be forgiven. We're basically saying that it's not unique to, to uh, non-believers, uh, Christians, by virtue of their own free will and rebellion, uh, can make a, uh, a bad mistake like that, too. What about, uh, you th- so you think it can be committed in this day and age, too? Basically. Yes. Okay. What does he mean will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come? In the age to come has kind of thrown me here. Is he speaking of the time he walked the earth, or is it talking about the afterlife, or what? I don't connect, personally, I don't connect forgiveness with the afterlife. I I think it kind of goes to um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody is forgiven in this life, that's one thing. And then, you know, when the Bible tells us not to judge, otherwise we'll be judged, uh, in, in, I believe it's Matthew 7, 1, you have to understand that when I'm talking about somebody who commits a sin, I can, quote, judge, unquote, that person as to whether or not that is sinful behavior, but that's not up to me to say, is that person no longer a Christian? The age to come is when we stand before God, and he is the one who's going to say, um, not be forgiven or forgiven. And in this age, sometimes church discipline, sometimes, you know, one Christian talking to another might have to confront a person with sin. Sure. I'm wondering if the age to come is our death. Uh, Jesus says, I'll never leave you, forsake you, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Uh, I wonder if that's the end of my age. Uh, in other words, like I mentioned last week, there are a lot of sins that I commit that I don't remember to ask forgiveness for. Mm-hmm. But yet, when I come to the end of my age, if I have stayed true to Christ, uh, He will forgive me for those. Uh, but if I reject Him, if I commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, He won't. Right. Um, yeah, by His own statement there. That's a good point. Let's move on uh, to try to cover this uh Sin that leads unto death versus a sin that does not lead unto death. <clears throat> There's a lot of um, angles we can look at this, and I'm just going to reread that that you shared, Steve. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. 
I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. Well, clearly they're depending, this verse presumes in believers, observers, are able to discern what sin is taking place. Is it a sin unto death or a sin not unto death? And yet we're not told specifically what it is, and it's given rise to all kinds of debate in uh, the uh, circle of students of the Word. I'd like to throw out a couple things. Some people believe that this sin is speaking only of physical death, like you were talking about Ananias and Sapphira, and you thought it fit this type of sin. Right, right. And it was physical death. Um, What do you think? Do you think it's only physical, or do you, do you think it's more in the sense of an eternal, or both? Well, if you're asking me, I, I think it can be both, because obviously there is a sin that leads to spiritual death, which is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which I think we're all in agreement means rejecting Christ. That sin leads to death. I It would be very hard for me to even think of myself having the authority to forgive that and say, okay, uh, so-and-so, you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to absolve you for all eternity. That's not up to me. That's going back to that do not judge, because it's up to God to judge that. Mm-hmm. One thing I've thought of when I read this uh, passage, uh, you know, we often talk about sin can transpire in various forms. I've heard it said there are sins of commission, omission, and disposition. There may be more. Maybe they ran ran out of uh, rhymes. But this depends upon us. This is contingent upon us witnessing something, a sin of commission. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin, you know, the, the act of rejection of Christ can take place within the mind, within the heart, something you can't see taking place in a person. And, of course, this is referencing a sin that does not lead to death. It doesn't use the the same thing about seeing commission of a sin that does lead to death. All it says is there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Let me ask, have have you ever been led by the Holy Spirit to not pray for somebody? Hasn't happened to me. (laughs) I think even if we see someone rejecting Christ, uh, you know, my first inclination would be to pray that God continues to work on them and soften their heart. Yeah, and and that's a, a real something related to another question I had. It says if you see them commit a sin that doesn't lead to death, and we'll let's just for the sake of discussion say that means physical death. It says you should pray and God will give them life. Now, does that mean? That Pete, if if I see you sinning, and I pray and ask God to forgive you, that He's going to forgive you in response to my prayer versus your own. If you're asking me that question, to me, that's one of the things that I have struggled with a lot in my in my Christian walk, because I am not sure. I mean, first of all, I think we have to be honest and say that there are things we probably all don't know. Maybe Steve knows more than I do about certain things, or Mick, you know more about Steve than certain things, or I know about more about certain things than you do. This is one of those areas where I have struggled with this for a long time, because 
is it really my prayer that is going to get God to act? Now, God is not, when it comes to the sin that leads unto death, and I'm going to take it with the idea of of meaning eternal death um, as far as, as not knowing Jesus, is God going to take that person's free will away because I have prayed for that person? I don't think so. At the same time, you know, as I've said before, again, I'm coming from the Wesleyan-Arminian standpoint, we don't believe in what some of our Calvinist brothers and sisters would call irresistible grace, but I heard an evangelist one time saying, Lord, we don't believe in irresistible grace, but we believe you can make it almost irresistible. (laughs) I'm I'm reading this verse not as, uh, if you pray, then God will forgive them. And, and only if you pray, mm-hmm. but more of if you pray, you know, it's, it's a good thing to pray if you see someone sinning, and God will forgive them whether you pray or not. Well, I, I kind of uh, put it in, in this context. I think when, when if we see someone sinning and, and pray for that person, I think I think God will respond to my prayer by making them conscious of, of their responsibility before, before him. I like that. That's really good. Um, you know, there was an example in the Scripture. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 5. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he said it's actually reported that some, some guy's sleeping with his father's wife. And it says, so when you're assembled and I am with you in spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It sounds to me like that's an example of a sin unto death. It doesn't say that, but we're talking about a guy who uh, is not correcting behavior that's clearly wrong, according to the scriptures, and the church is commanded by Paul, when they're assembled, even, that's scary, to hand the guy over to Satan for, quote, destruction of the flesh. To me, that means physical death. But that's open to debate. It says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So maybe, like Ananias and Sapphira, um, maybe the penalty to pay was a physical death, and yet their spirit, if they're Christians, survives for the uh, eternity. What do you think? Eternity with God, that is. Right. I'm, I'm again, this is one of those areas where I, I don't know for sure. I think a lot of it depends on what do we mean by the flesh, because um, in some um, Christian circles, the flesh refers to our sinful nature, and maybe this person's flesh, this sinful nature, will be destroyed by excommunicating this person and letting this person be in the world and not with all the believers to the point where this person will hopefully then repent and have a have a relationship with Christ again and with the church. Now, that's I'm not an authority on that, but that's kind of how I have understood it. Well, we do see this man come back in Second Corinthians where he has repented, the church discipline has been effective in that way. Right, that's true. So he, he didn't die in, in that right. case. And this is, 
another time when we're starting to run up against the clock. And uh, I think, Mick, you would like to continue with this. Maybe we'll do it at another time, probably not next week, but we can pick up this kind of discussion another time. Um, I don't know that we've answered everybody's questions. I don't know that we've answered all of our own (laughs) questions. And that's okay. That's what Reconciling Grace is about, because we're not all the same. We all have questions, and, and we're reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what this program is about. And so I'd like to thank... Mick Wells, co-host of the Cross Connection radio program. Steve Wilson, Christian author with a master's degree from United Theological Seminary. And this is Pete Vecchi from West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. See you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.